Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. How familiar are you with Juneteenth? Is it just another holiday on the calendar like Flag Day or Armistice Day? If the actual year of Juneteenth is 1865, why did it take so long for our current president, Joe Biden, to sign Juneteenth into law as a federal holiday after all these years? The distinguished historian at the University of Kentucky, Dr. George Wright, is here to discuss Juneteenth. Dr. Wright is a professor, a senior advisor to the university president, distinguished university research professor, former president of Prairie View A&M University in Texas. He's well known as an African-American scholar and the author of several books, including A History of Blacks in Kentucky in Pursuit of Equality, 1890-1930. It's always a special privilege to be in the presence of of Dr. George Wright. Dr. Wright, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Set the stage for us, uh, if you will, sir, uh, for what was going on in America around June 19, 1865. Um, Most people are well aware of the fact that the Civil War fighting had ended in April 1865 and that the war for all practical purposes are over. But as was common in almost any war, I mean, if you think about wars before the American Civil War, you take about wars even after the American Civil War, there are people fighting or people in isolated places that the word does not get there. For one thing, war often leads to communication of normal ways being cut off. And that was the case. Uh, One of the aims of the Northern Army during the Civil War was to isolate Texas from the rest of the Confederacy. And therefore, the uh, Union Army could then take its time and then uh, defeat the Confederates in Texas. So, The Civil War ends in the main part of the Confederacy, April 1865. The Union Army comes into Galveston Bay in June 1865. And on June the 19th, I think it's General Sheridan who reads the proclamation that had been read to slaves elsewhere. Go back to Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. When Lincoln did that, it was to go into effect January the 1st, 1863, but that's really a symbolic act at that time because Lincoln did not control the places in the Confederacy at that time. But as the Union Army moved southward, it was able to then institute the Emancipation Proclamation. So it's not until June the 19th, 1865, isolated Texas, that the Union Army comes. And of course, the word would then spread from there. Now, growing up in the United States, 
uh, a lot of people, African Americans included, know of various celebrations of emancipation, but not necessarily Juneteenth. For African Americans in Texas, in Louisiana, in Oklahoma, that was not the case. But even myself, I did not grow up in that part of the country, and it's only in 1981, Black History Month. By that time, I am a professor at the University of Texas at Austin that I was approached by a national company. And back then, uh, just like you would Google someone now, the person had found out who the African-American historian was. I was contacted and they said they wanted to talk to me about helping them generate some publicity for Juneteenth. Long story short, I helped them develop a poster. But in doing so, it meant I had to read up on Juneteenth. I read newspaper articles, I read secondary sources, I read some other things, but I, a scholar by then, had my, had had my PhD for four years, had all my graduate training behind me, I really didn't know about Juneteenth. But that doing that work in the sp spring of 1981, helping create that poster, and then giving presentations, led to my knowledge of Juneteenth. So that's how it happened for me. And that's a fascinating story. But even today, I think there are many, many Americans and maybe some African Americans who still don't understand the history of Juneteenth or maybe not even aware of the date. Um, tell me what the Emancipation Proclamation said, and again, other than the geography of of, of where Lincoln was at the time and Texas being where it was and communications, uh, of course, weren't as uh, fast as uh, they became. Um, it did still take two years from the time of the proclamation uh, in 1863 to the Juneteenth date of 1865. So uh, tell me what the what Lincoln's message said at that time. Okay, um, Lincoln's message, again, said that slavery had ended and that you, the enslaved people, were now free. Now, again, please understand that even though Lincoln had said that in 1863, slavery, uh, the Civil War, essentially put slavery to an end, but essentially, though, the, the 13th Amendment is not until December 1865. So technically, slavery still existed, and even after that, slavery existed in four slave states, Maryland, Missouri, Delaware, Kentucky. Kentucky would technically be the last place where enslaved people were. Now, why but is that? Because those four states were loyal states, and Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation did not apply to those states. A loophole had been that if a male 
the head of the household, joined the Union Army, he was free and his family was free. But even though that freed some of the slaves, the number can always be debated, but it still left tens of thousands, maybe even 40 to 50,000 people enslaved after that. But to not get too far away, Juneteenth becomes the symbolic end of slavery, not in Texas only, not in the United States only, but by then in the Americas. That it brings to end slavery of 250 years of slavery in the North American continent. And that's what made it so important. And that's what has now become what people realize about the importance of Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth was lost because in certain places, um, August becomes a date in Western Kentucky and some other places where they celebrated Emancipation Day. January 1st, of course, was the day. But now, over the last decade, not just on the last two years only, Juneteenth's oh, significance has grown outside of the Southwest. Texas, of course, made it first an optional holiday some years ago. Ironically, check this out. You could either take Juneteenth or Confederates Day. So look oh, at no. the, um, the, the, the uh, diametrically opposed a- as a choices that people could take as a holiday. But now it is Juneteenth as a holiday there as it is a national holiday. Um, um, if someone wants to say it took President Biden that long to do it, then what about all of the presidents between Lincoln and Biden uh, that one could argue? Of, and if you say, well, at one point, the Republican Party was the party of Lincoln, the party of emancipation, then what about all the Republican presidents? Then in, uh, since Roosevelt, if you say, no, the Democratic Party has been the party of African-Americans, well, then what about all the Democratic mm-hmm. presidents, including Roosevelt, since mm-hmm. Roosevelt? So um, uh, I would say just like a federal anti-lynching law has at last been passed, a law, I'm sorry, a holiday for Juneteenth passed. So I tend mm-hmm. to look at the more positive thing that has at last come out of it. During that time period uh, in 1863, is there a possibility that uh, Kentucky and the other three states, uh, you said Delaware, Maryland, and Missouri, and Missouri was that an oversight on um, not necessarily Lincoln's part, but the cabinet or uh, some of his uh, advisors mm-hmm. to not include? Uh, no, it, it was the opposite of an oversight. Lincoln said at the beginning of the Civil War, this is a Lincoln quote, and you know, Lincoln is, he said, I hope to have God on my side, but I must have Kentucky. He said, if Kentucky goes with the Confederacy, it will be the same as losing the whole ballgame. Lincoln also said early on that if freeing some of the slaves will save the Union, I'll do that. If freeing none of the slaves will save the Union, I'll do that. If freeing all of the slaves will do that. So first and foremost was his preserving of the Union. Again, it's only 
in the summer of 1862, when the war is not going well for the Union, and England and France are on the verge of recognizing the South, if the South will do one thing, the one thing it cannot do, give up slavery, does Lincoln, after the Battle of Antietam in Maryland, September 1862, use that as the occasion two years in the war to say, this is no longer a war of secession, it's a war of emancipation. So one, so that's what, so he clearly allowed Kentucky to main slaves. So, so there were many people in the North and in places like the pro-slavery, pro-union. They see no inconsistency in that. But again, that goes along with one of the long-standing themes in American history that the Civil War would have to grapple with, slavery and freedom. There were uh, a lot of uh, African-Americans, a lot of the enslaved in Texas uh, leading up to that. Was that was that sort of a migration from maybe some of the southern uh, states? Uh, how did how did such an enormous number end up? And, and of all places, uh, we're, we're both familiar with the state of Texas and the big metropolitan areas, which weren't that at the time, but uh, Houston and Dallas and Austin. And we're talking about all of this came to a head in Galveston, which in comparison is a very small uh, island uh, uh, near Houston, but still quite, quite some distance at that time. Uh, why, why Galveston and, and why did all this action take place there? Again, Galveston is the, um, where the, the ocean, that is where the Union Army comes into. But the main place where slavery operated in Texas was East Texas not in the cities of Texas, but East Texas cotton fields are very much like the cotton fields of, of the Deep South. And beginning in the 1830s and 1840s, there had been a migration. Kentucky would see an out-migration, as an example. Maryland would see an out-migration. Virginia would see an out-migration of slaves moving to the new cotton lands of Mississippi, Texas being one of those. So again, Texas had become a scholar by the name of Randolph Campbell wrote a very outstanding book called Slavery in Texas, and he calls it a new empire for slavery. That you see that this cotton lands, this mass place uh, in East Texas had opened up. So it's a very, very important place, just like Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama uh, in that regard. I want to read just a bit uh, from the proclamation that uh, uh, Gordon Granger, uh, General Granger, uh, uh, took uh, the time he had come into Galveston, went to several different places in the city to uh, make this announcement. I want to read just a, uh, a small portion of that and then get your comments on it. Um, and it was written in this way. Now, this is according to Wikipedia. The people of Texas are informed that, in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free, period. 
This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain quietly at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. That was the statement Mm -hmm. that created Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts as you hear those words? Okay, first of all, I have to say earlier I had said General Sheridan when I meant Granger. Your your comment there uh, corrected that. But on the one hand, uh, it does say slavery has ended, but then it talks about several things that I think are ambiguous. Number one, it tries to discourage blacks from leaving the very places where they have been enslaved. You see, one of the things that the ex-slaves everywhere did, and it was almost a natural, was that many people had never been away from the farms or the small hamlets where they were enslaved. So almost naturally, one may want to go to a larger community or elsewhere. But the main reason for that was that they went to these places to try to relocate family members who had been separated, most often sold for them. Whites would often call this an aimless wandering by these folk. But in reality, some people would spend the rest of their lives trying to find their loved ones unsuccessfully. Uh, because who knows what happened to them. But then, even more uh, significant, that statement also says you should work out arrangements for employment. Well, think about the economy of the defeated Confederacy. Are the Southern whites, many of whom were not even there, men and others, but are they in some position to really work out a real relationship. They did have the land, and notice that statement did not say, we are going to give you some land or that you're entitled to the land, but it was almost an acknowledgement of what would happen to where these ex-slaves are not given anything but the clothes on their back as they go into something called freedom. Uh, So on the one hand, you can imagine the optimism or the excitement of people being set free, but then what does freedom really mean uh, to people? So there's a lot of uncertainty uh, for whenever people were set free. So your conclusion then, one might, although it, it, it states that all slaves are free, they were they were not well what i would say is freedom needed to be defined uh-huh. and that freedom would have to be worked out or if you think about this think about these people being freed and really given virtually no support and left in an environment of where the defeated were the defeated cannot take out their resentment their anger on the Union Army, 
but eventually they're in a position to take it out on the ex-slaves. So they have that to do and they have to uplift themselves. What I think about is that if you look at these people, 1865, look at these people, 1900, and it's remarkable that these people have somehow educated themselves in virtually every community in the South, the South was reluctant to help start public education for African-Americans. So in a lot of instances, these very same poor people had to somehow build their own schools to be sure they received some union support. These same people had to somehow till the soil or somehow gain certain kinds of employment. By the year 1900 or a generation removed from slavery, many of these people were educated. Du Bois, W.B. Du Bois said some four million of these people would be educated by the year 1900. So I talk about the incredible growth. These people started churches in 1865 and 1866 that still exists today. They started fraternal and sorority organizations that still exist today. And so these people are to be, I don't know how they possibly were able to do the things they did. And guess what else they did? They showed no measure of revenge to their ex-slave owners. In some instances, white men did not return given the high casualty rate. Or in some instances, they returned with injuries. If there was ever a time for them to do unto others as been done to them, they showed compassion for the very people who had enslaved them. That too speaks to something remarkable in these people who had been enslaved. What do we know about the author of the proclamation that General Granger read that established Juneteenth? I don't know if I can answer. Um, I, I didn't run across that, and, and we know certainly who wrote the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, this again uh, says that it was handed down from the executive of the United States, well, so, you would think mm -hmm. that would be Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And his cabinet is what I would assume. Uh, I, I, that's all, you know, uh, again, uh, when you say the author of something like that, it's hard to, um, uh, to know who Lincoln may have had, but it had to be signed off by Lincoln and his secretary of state, his, his main people in the War Department and things like that. But to, to, to identify any one person with it, I, I have never known of that. I'm talking with uh, Dr. George Wright, uh, the distinguished uh, history professor, African-American scholar at the University of Kentucky, and we're talking about the origins of uh, Juneteenth and uh, how it was established and what it uh, means today. And I'll have more with Dr. Wright right after we hear uh, this good word from our friends at Spalding University. At Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, 
writing for children and young adults. We're writing for TV, screen, and stage. Stay at Louvo's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Dr. Wright, these uh, celebrations of uh, Juneteenth are, are often called jubilees. Why? Well, I, I think um, almost any celebration, whether it's the 4th of July, uh, whether it's uh, if you go to Armistice Day or anything like that, it's a time, part of it, of, of people expressing their joy over something that has happened. But I think if you look deeper, most of these celebrations, again, something like the 4th of July or others, especially something that would commemorate uh, what had been a war or something like that, it's also to honor and remember those people who made the ultimate sacrifice, uh, that who gave their lives to a cause that others don't have to, and that in fact, the further you get away from it, a lot of the people even forget that people sacrifice for them. So, but an important component for the people who start these things is remembering the past. Something else in every time period, especially in African-American history, but I wouldn't think it's you just in African-American celebrations. It's looking at the present day and using that, how far have we come? Where have we made progress? And I gave examples of some progress they had made by the year 1900, but how far do we still have to go? And I think those are important aspects. So a lot of times when newspapers and others, the things I researched on Juneteenth, they would talk about the barbecues, the dancing, the sporting events, and all of those things. They would talk far less about what was said in the church services or at the cemetery or somewhere else where people rededicated themselves to the people there. Uh, or if there were the uh, reading of names of people who had passed on who may have had some influential role. So that's what celebrations are also about. It's a, it's a fun occasion, but it's also a somber occasion as well. Do you think Juneteenth has new significance in the last uh, decade, the last few years of George Floyd and mm -hmm. Breonna Taylor and mm -hmm. the movement uh, across the United States, across the world for that matter? Mm -hmm. Does Juneteenth take on mm -hmm. new significance? I'm, I am convinced that the tragic events of the spring of 2020, the, those that you just mentioned, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, but others as well, many, many led others. to, and then here's Juneteenth, led to many people then saying this can be an occasion that we should remember the past and remember the, I've had a lot of people contact me and just say, as a result of these events, we are going to look at that. Now, uh, what I say in return, as sorry as I am that it took a tragedy to do that, 
I am glad that we are having conversations on race. Here's my comment. Take your administration over the last 40 years, Republican, Democrat, if you want to use the term liberal or conservative, take whichever ones, show me which ones really had serious dialogues on present day racial issues. Which one of them really critiqued and said, here's where we are, here are some very troubling issues, here's what we need to do. When have we had serious conversations? And so for that, I'm glad. And what I would also say is that for me, it's important for everybody to be part of the conversation. I am a historian. I have spent my life doing this, but I learned a long time ago, someone who has not spent their life, who's read one book on slavery or something, who attended one program on it, might make a comment that says to me, with all of my training, I never thought about that. That's important to hear. That in other words, everybody's voice, and what I think is important for us to definitely listen to people who might see the world differently than we do. Uh, uh, that at some point, we've got to find a way to hear people who might not say it like we do. And what's important about that is that sometimes if we only have conversations after the death of George Floyd, we're too quick to take offense when someone says something or uses a word. I didn't say the most derogatory terms, just uses a word that's different than the word we would have used. Um, and I think the more conversation, we can then excuse or forgive or correct or whatever somebody who uses a word we might not use, but not in the most inflamed environment as that. So, even if Juneteenth has come to the forefront only because of the issues of the last two years, I think it's that I've attended church um, all of my life, and there are church people who will criticize folk who only come to church at Easter, at Christmas, at Mother's Day. But another perspective is at least they came on those days. It's good that if Mother's Day is the only day you came, then that's still good. That maybe you'll come on Mother's Day and then come back at least for Father's Day and other days in that sense. Dr. Wright, it's uh, always an extreme honor and uh, pleasure to be uh, with you. And I thank you for coming in uh, and hope that you'll revisit us on our Think Humanities podcast in the future. Thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.